Hello, Worcester and the world. You're listening to Public Hearing on WICN 90.5 FM, Worcester's only NPR affiliate station, or wherever you get your podcasts. Created and produced by Action by Design, our show is about addressing community challenges in ways that center equity, justice, and joy, where we use real-world examples about the nuance and intersections of this work by focusing in on my home city of Worcester, Massachusetts, the second largest city in New England. We are continuing our series focusing on equity-based housing solutions. We've spoken to a wide variety of folks involved in the equitable housing space, including Domenica Perone, District 5 City Councilor Atel Hasiai, as well as Nikki Bell and Desiree Demos from Lyft. This week, we are continuing our conversation with Dr. Ania Lufumpa, who works for the city of Worcester and currently serves as the Department of Health and Human Services Director, uh, strategist and team lead, and is currently the Director of Homeless Services. Uh, this is the Public Hearing Podcast. Dr. Ania Lufumpa joined the city of Worcester in September 2020 as the homeless outreach strategist and team lead and is currently the director of homeless services. Her responsibilities include examining the data on homelessness in Worcester, strategizing on appropriate and efficient ways to address the needs of those experiencing homelessness, as well as leading the homeless outreach team. Before joining the city of Worcester, she spent five years researching health inequities and inequalities relating to maternal health in sub-Saharan Africa. She earned her PhD in public health, epidemiology, and biostatistics from the University of Birmingham, UK, a MSc in global public health and policy, and a BA in French. She is of Zambian origin and grew up across Africa, which has shaped the way she views the world. Ania, welcome. So uh, thank you so much for being on Public Hearing. I always like to give folks an opportunity to share any additional information about them that might not slip into that bio uh, to help our listeners better understand a bit more about you and, and some of the perspectives that you bring to this work. So welcome to Public Hearing. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I think the main thing that I would just touch on is the last sentence of the bio about being um, a Zambian, well, Zambian-American, because I was born here, um, who's grown up across different countries in, in sub-Saharan Africa. Because um, I think that's really shaped the way that I viewed the world and being able to travel around, see different um, different places, experience different cultures. Um, I think that's made me very open-minded when it comes to life and everything. So I think that's, and it's shaped the way that I work as well. So yes. Great. And thank you. And we're so thrilled to have your perspective here. I, it's it's so often I, I find like folks who grow up in one area and, and can stay in that area, we have like a a perception of like how things are in that isn't always the case. Right. Exactly. And that's that the exposure to different communities, different ways of being different ways of doing yes. um, is, is really, really critical and how we can start to reshape mindsets, yes. I think is something that, especially in this series on housing that we've been mm -hmm. talking a lot about with our guests is yeah. um, especially on the subject of unhoused folks and, and, folks experiencing homelessness mm -hmm. is how do we shift community perception yeah. about the instances that have led to some of these mm -hmm. um, experiences mm -hmm. and uh, how we might really change and nurture our systems to be nurturing, right? That's to support um, people where they're at, what they need. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you for being here again. I'd love to just really kick off with from your perspective, your experience, but also um, some of the programs and initiatives that are going on in the city, what are what is the approach to supporting unhoused populations and addressing um, chronic homelessness and, and issues that are connected to that? So there are um, several different strategies that the city of Worcester is 
um, in the process of doing to address homelessness within Worcester, um, especially as it relates to different groups, so single adult um, homelessness, family homelessness as well. Um, so within the Department of Health and Human Services, we have our own little, well, our own division. It's a group of four of us um, who are the homeless outreach workers. So we have um, one part-time recovery coach. We have another person who does housing as well as part-time recovery coaching. And then we have another person who does housing. Um, can I do a little shout out to the team? Please, yeah. All right. <laughs> so we have Evis Herpilari who does um, housing. We have Johanna Diaz who does both housing and recovery coaching. And we have Ezekiel Colazzo who does um, recovery coaching as well. And so, um, and we have myself as me as well. So I do the strategizing, um, looking at the data and trying to figure out what can we do to address some of the changes that we're seeing in the data. So that's one um, approach to tackling homelessness that we have. So our team goes out on a daily basis to different areas within the community that we know um, there are people who are in house, like where they're staying, where they congregate, um, people who may be actively using or looking for um, like substance use treatment, those sort of things. We go out into the community we really try to remove some of the barriers that people face when trying to receive services, um, whether it's getting them an ID or, or providing them transportation through um, some of our, our community partners, such as APW. Um, so just really trying to remove those barriers to make sure that people are able to get the services that they want. Um, if we can get them into shelter, get them into appropriate housing as well, that's something that we try to do. Um, there are other departments as well within the city that are working on homelessness. We have economic development who have, I think it's the tenants, Landlord tenant guarantee. They're, so there are different programs. So um, with that, it's working with landlords as well to try and encourage them to to rent to you know people who are experiencing homelessness at the moment, um, and then assuring them that if anything happens to your property, there are funds that you can access to maybe repair certain things that may have been um, damaged or that have that are not in the same condition as um, as you had left them. Um, another thing is through the city manager's office and HHS, we have um, the Housing First Coordinating Council. So that's specifically for people who are chronically homeless. So that's anybody who's been homeless for a year consecutively uh, or has had, I believe it's three episodes of homelessness in a four-year period or it's the first of four episodes of homelessness in a three-year period, um, that total up to a year. So with that, we have four um, working groups. We have the data working groups, which really examines how many people are experiencing homelessness in Worcester. And it breaks that down by race, gender, um, whether it's an individual versus a family, because the approaches would be different as well um, in terms of how to address those, um, yeah, how to address that. Um, we also have the housing supply and stabilization um, working group, which is actually looking at producing additional housing units here within Worcester. So we work with different partners um, to basically mm -hmm. try and create additional units within within the city. So I think it was last week that we had the groundbreaking event for 38 Lewis Street project, which is going to be mm -hmm. which is which should be coming up sometime soon, um, which will create an additional 24 units for anybody not for anybody for people who are experiencing um chronic homelessness and that will come with um a unit as well for somebody who's going to be living on the property just making sure that everybody's okay that they have what they need and connecting them to services as well and doing case management um there are i believe it's three other projects that are in the works as well um in terms of creating additional units and that dates back to um 2018 when there was a um like a formal assessment that was done. And I believe that the number that was meant to, the number of additional units, housing units that was meant to be created was about 
118 or something, somewhere mm. around there. So the city is still working on actually creating those units. Um, the other two working groups are supplies, support, the support services working group, which works with um, the different community partners that provide support services to those who are experiencing um, homelessness at the moment or who are struggling mm. with their addictions and trying to figure out what can we actually do to make sure that we're improving the services that we're providing to people. Um, so that meets also regularly. And the last one is the crisis stabilization unit. And so that looks at the sheltering system and what things we can do within the sheltering system to make sure that those who are experiencing homelessness, because it, it, it is a crisis. So what can we do in that moment to make sure that they're okay, that they're safe, that they're comfortable? Um, and with that, one of the things that we've been working on is, that I'm really excited about, is that we've been working mm -hmm. on getting a clinic. So the Family Health Center uh, for Worcester has the grant for um, healthcare for the homeless. So what we've been working on is getting somebody, a medical provider, to come into the shelters directly to provide medical services to, um, to the residents of the 25 mm -hmm. Queen Street location. So we're hoping to start with the 25 Queen Street location and then eventually spread it out to the different, um, the, to the different other shelters within Wednesday. Fantastic. So very busy. Yes. Lot, lots <laughs> lots, going on. Yes. And, and I appreciate you kind of outlining and discussing those uh, different initiatives and efforts. And one thing that obviously we've been trying to really push to our listeners is the complexity and nuance mm -hmm. of this and how there isn't a one-size-fits-all uh, solution for folks. And, and in our previous conversation, we recently spoke with Nikki Bell and Desiree Demos from Lyft, um, and they employ kind of a zero-barrier access mm -hmm. process for accessing their harbor shelter space for folks experiencing, um, you know, uh, the impacted by the sex trade mm -hmm. um, here in, in Worcester. And something that I find that really resonates with me around that model, both from the zero, zero barrier access perspective, but also um, treating people with unconditional positive regard is mm -hmm. that there is always an entry point for support um, where sometimes in uh, some of the like sheltering programs like they have the you know the women that we spoke with have experienced instances where they've been banned for x amount of time or there's a requirement to kind of show up um clean and not you know using substances at that at that time and so we talked a lot about like housing first solutions of saying how do we best create systems and structures that put keys into someone's hand and mm -hmm. say you have dignified space to be and then whatever you need for the next step in your journey is what we are positioning to kind of provide you for for support and i know like working for you know a municipality and under you know various kind of laws policies etc there are certain barriers that come up for um employing those types of, of strategies. So I'm I'm interested in kind of how the city is thinking about and, and approaching kind of these models for um, enabling folks at any at any place in our community, whether that's actively substance um, you know, using substances or has had a history of being in and out of shelters or being kind of kicked out of those spaces. What is some of the, like the philosophy and approach to really supporting those those folks? Uh, so I think one of the philosophies that we try to uh, well that we try our best to implement in the work that we do is putting the um, the person that we are working with at the center of everything that's done. So asking them what it what is it that they need, and then doing what we can um, 
connecting with the people that we know to make sure that we're able to provide that for them. So if somebody's looking for food stamps, for example, if they're looking for food, we definitely direct them to the food pantries. Um, there are um, different places around the city as well that provide breakfast, for example, like APW. So we'll inform them about some of those things. But I think the main thing is just putting the the person at the center, the, the individual or the family at the center of whatever is being, um, whatever is made. Because I think sometimes it's easy to think that we know what's best for somebody else, but they know what they want and we should be able to work with them to make sure that they're able to get that. Um, and I think at the end of it as well, I think looking at somebody who's experiencing homelessness or who's actively using as a human being, we keep, we need to remind ourselves of that because I think sometimes when um, people in the community see people who may be, you know, actively using or maybe somebody who's um, homeless, maybe they're staying, out, like sitting outside of a building or sleeping outside of a building. It's uncomfortable to see. And I think sometimes it's easy for people to just ignore it, <laughs> pretend mm. like they don't see it. But they're human beings just like any one of us. And there are a lot of people um, who honestly are possibly a paycheck away from being, you know, from being homeless. So I think we need to have compassion in the work that we do and understanding that everybody's a human being, everybody's, um, they may have fallen on hard times. And as health and human services, our role is to then help them get to where they want to be. Um, and so even with housing, so going back to the housing first model, um, that has worked before even in Worcester in terms of housing, house, providing people with housing and then providing them with wraparound services and ensuring that those services are robust. But then again, the person has to be at the center. The individual or the family has to be at the center. So it's what do they need at that moment? Um, because with, so for example, with our recovery coaches, when they go out into the community, sometimes they, so they engage with people, but not everybody is ready for it um, at that time. And you just, you have to respect that. You give them the information, you know, you give them your their, um, their business cards, let them know what's available to them. But at the end of the day, if they're not ready, you can't, and we will not force anybody to do what they don't want to do. So I think it's just understanding that everybody has their own autonomy and they can make their decisions, and we have to respect that as well and just do our part. Absolutely. Make- yeah, the, one of the other things that Nikki mentioned that really resonated with me was mm-hmm. the the notion of, and the reality that um, you know chronic homelessness, especially when it's intersecting with the substance use disorder and often undertreated or untreated like mental health disorders, is that there you're surviving through continual trauma, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And so once you are connected to something like housing that is more stable and, and dignified and mm-hmm. provides you space, there is a healing time Mm, that needs to be thought about and considered. And I know that there are some housing programs that um, have kind of had a kind of a joint requirement, like Mm. to access housing and like you also have to access services, right? Mm. And so when you talk about like centering the person on like where they are at, meeting Mm -hmm. them where they're at and what they're kind of available to or wanting to participate Mm. in, I think is so, so critically important. No, honestly, yeah. It, it, it is because I think there are um, programs that have specific requirements. And I think that comes with also being aware of the services that are available, the different programs as well that are available. So if you know that somebody's not necessarily looking for, um, let's say, treatment at this moment, there are other services that they can be provided. There are other needs that they have that we can meet. Um, so, yes, we 
Great. And so what are some of the, you, you talked about a lot of the things that the city is, is doing and is working on. What are some of the things that you are, you feel are going to be the most impactful at supporting um, our most marginalized and vulnerable? Um, honestly, there are many, many things I think we could implement. Um, but I think some of the main things are um, creating additional housing units. That's that are affordable. <laughs> That's the most important thing because a lot of the the cost of a one bedroom is going up. I think it's more than. I might be wrong on the actual amount, but I think, but I know it's over a thousand dollars for a one bedroom apartment. Mm-hmm. I think it might be one thousand six hundred or somewhere around there. Um, I might be wrong. And I no, I think you're correct. Okay. <laughs> I think you are correct. Yeah. yeah. And not everybody is able to afford that. So that in itself is a big problem because the apartments that are available are so expensive. Um, So I think being able to create additional housing units that are affordable is um, the first thing that we can do Um, because there are people that are going to fill them. We have many people who are experiencing homelessness at the moment and individuals and families who will be able to get into those units. But if they're not able to afford them, that, you know, that's a problem and it further contributes to more people experiencing homelessness. Um, another thing that I think we can create is, so I'm a very big advocate for the day center. Um, so that's one thing that I would love to see in Worcester is a day center, um, a place where people who are experiencing homelessness can go to and honestly just do what they would like to do. Whether mm-hmm. it's to sit down and watch TV, whether it's to get services, but having a place where they can go to, where they feel safe, where they, they feel welcomed, um, where if they want to get services, they can receive services. If they want to get case management, they can receive case management. Um, and including a, honestly, a safe sanction site as well, uh, where they can use um, whatever substances they, they they would like to use or they need to use, but where they're, they're supervised. So if anything happens, there's somebody that can, a clinic, um, a clinician that can then try and, you know, reverse any negative effects of what's happening. But I think being able to do that would be so, honestly, it would be really, really useful in, in, in Worcester. Because one of the things that we've heard about is um, people who experience homelessness that get into apartments, um, they still feel lonely, they still feel sad because they're sitting in there by themselves. Mm. Um, When they were out in the community, they're used to being around people. So at least if we have a day resource center, in addition to creating additional uh, um, affordable housing units, I think that would really um, tackle our problem. Because at least they have a place that they can go to at night, um, their own apartment, their own room where they're safe, and then during the day, if they want to spend time with their friends, there is that um, day center where they can go hang out, watch TV, eat, get some food, take a shower, whatever it is that they need to do. But there is that safe place where they need to go to. And I think that also would be perfect for the times that we have extreme weather when it's really, really hot or it's really, really cold um, because we have people who um, in some cases are also staying in encampments where, you know, with extreme weather, it's it's dangerous for them to be outside, especially during the during the winter. But at least having a place like that where they can go to during the day, spend some time, um, feel safe, get yeah. a meal, the yeah. basic needs. I, I'm really intrigued by that concept of a, a day center because so for listeners who might not be familiar, the I think all of or at least most of the shelters are only accessible at a certain point in the evening and overnight. Correct. Um, so. I know 25 Queen Street, they do give people the option of staying in the shelter. But I don't know whether it's throughout the whole year or whether it's um, a particular during the winter months, but I'll, I can okay. double check that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and, and also just having a space for activity, community. Yes. 
escaping extreme extreme mm-hmm. weather and things like that, I think is is really critical. Yeah. Another piece that Domenica Perone said when we kicked off this series that has really stuck with me mm-hmm. is that. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll frame it as what she said, and then I'll talk back to like what led up to that. But she was like, why don't we consider folks who are experiencing homelessness part of our community? There, mm-hmm. And it was, came out of this conversation of this detachment that folks have mm-hmm. from the people who are visibly homeless mm-hmm. or visibly substance dependent or, um, you know, experiencing some of these, these challenges. And, you know, she made the comment of like, if you're driving to your office or to school or whatever, and you're seeing the same person on that street corner near your building every single day, why would we not assume that they are part of this community? Mm -hmm. And why do we not treat them like they are part of this community deserving of Mm -hmm. all the things that we are as we're looking at growth and development Mm -hmm. as as a city. Mm-hmm. And that's often, you know, as someone who really advocates for like equitable community mm-hmm. development strategies, it's mm-hmm. not just looking at, oh, how do we attract new money and build mm-hmm. bigger and build more attractive for folks who have the means to engage with that type of development? It's how do we create a community that develops collectively and that builds wealth for all people that are here and that enables folks to have access to the support services Mm -hmm. and resources that they need to be successful as they define success. And so I, I did. I just rambled a little bit and didn't ask a specific question. But so maybe I'd, I'd love to hear about. And we have a few minutes left here. It's time flies. Um, so I'd love to hear mm-hmm. about anything that you specifically want to like bring up that you mm-hmm. might be like really charged and excited yeah. about. And also maybe how your work intersects with these, um, you know, compounding challenges, but also opportunities that um, we also recently spoke with Casey Burns from the Coalition for Healthy Greater Worcester on the social determinants of health mm-hmm. and how housing is a component that determines health outcomes. So, you know, all these intersectional elements would love to kind of hear how you navigate those things and bring that into your work. Yeah. So so our um so we work with Dr. Kessel, who's a commissioner of Health and Humans and Human Services, and she's a big advocate for um social determinant social determinants of health and how housing is a key component of that. And so I think it impacts all of the work that we do because depending on where you live, it definitely has effects on your health on, on our health outcomes as well. And um so I had to go back to the first point that you had um that you had made. But I think it go I think it goes back to honestly just looking at every single person within our community as a member of our community. They may not be our immediate family members, but they are a part of our community. And they're somebody else's brother, somebody else's sister, somebody else's you know partner, whatever it is. Um, and we need to be able to look at them as human beings who are just who maybe have fallen on hard times. A lot of it is rooted in trauma in terms of what they've seen, what they've experienced as well. So being able to be compassionate and understanding that, you know, people go through things and they fall on hard times. And it's not going to take one person to make a change. We all have to get involved in our own little way. Um, and even something as little as saying hello to somebody as you walk by um, walk by them on the street is such a big thing, such a big thing. Because I think going back to the idea of um, of it sometimes being being uncomfortable to see maybe somebody sleeping at a bus station um, or somebody's actively using in front of you, it's uncomfortable to see, but they're a human being at the end of the day. Um, so I think that is so, so, so important. Um, 
in terms of acknowledging, acknowledging that and understanding that. I think when you understand it from that perspective, then I think it changes the way that you look at people who are experiencing those sort of things as well. Um, we had spoken, there was, there was another question. Um, and, and you kind of talked okay. to it and, it, you know, how you look at the intersecting needs of our community mm -hmm. and use that to kind of channel and into your your specific kind of focus like in housing and like addressing and supporting uh, folks who are unhoused. Yeah. And so um, and we're actually remarkably getting very close to time. Um, and uh, so is there anything else that you'd like to share with folks, either um, connecting them to resources or opportunities or things that um, – you know, if they are looking to learn more about the city and the city's work yeah. in supporting populations that are facing chronic homelessness who are unhoused. We also kind of briefly mentioned and talked about, um, and Domenica and I spoke about this as well, is like oftentimes when people hear the word homeless or mm. homelessness, they think about the visible yes. homelessness that we mm -hmm. see. And there's also what... Um, Atel referred to as invisible yes. homelessness, which is folks who might not have stable housing but are mm -hmm. um, on a couch at a friend's or yes. a family member's and are not don't have stable support and solutions. So anything in, in the next like minute that we have left, anything that you'd like to share around like resources and, and things for folks to learn more? Yes. Um, so, sorry, that's one thing that I um, didn't really touch on was the the visible and invisible homelessness and within visible homelessness as in the word, <laughs> it's not something that we're able to see um, as easy because people will be sleeping over at somebody's home. Sometimes people don't even know that that counts as, you know, somebody who's experiencing homelessness. Um, but in terms of resources, so if anybody knows of anybody who is experiencing either visible or, inv or um, invisible homelessness, they can always reach out to um, our department, our division. We are more than happy to help and connect them to other um, community resources that are available. There are a number of agencies within the, um, the city that are doing an amazing job on providing support services to anybody who's experiencing um, homelessness or substance use disorder at the moment. So, But we're more than happy to do that. So they can reach out to our um, office directly at 508-799-8486 um, and extension number 31331. That'll come directly to our, um, our homeless outreach team. And from there, we'll have somebody reach out to them to see what we can do to help. Fantastic. Sorry. Yeah, um, one last thing. Um, we also have, um, through HHS, we have a stigma-free app as well. Um, it's compatible with smartphones, um, which kind of is... A little bit problematic for those who do need it um, right. and, and may not have access to a smartphone. Um, but it's a great resource for different social support um, services within Worcester. And it breaks it down by housing, food, substance use, different categories. So that's another resource that people can turn to as well. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate having you. We've thank been talking you. to Dr. Inia Lufumpa, who is the Director of Homeless Services for the City of Worcester's Department of Health and Human Services. Um, I am your host, Joshua Croak. You've been listening to Public Hearing, our podcast and radio show that airs Wednesdays at 6 p.m. on WICN 90.5 FM, Worcester's only NPR affiliate station, and can be heard wherever you listen to podcasts. Public Hearing is about addressing community challenges 
challenges in ways that center equity, justice, and joy for every person in Worcester, Massachusetts. This has been our series on equity-based housing solutions, and we are continuing those conversations in the coming weeks. I want to thank our team for producing this show. Our audio producer is Giuliano Durazio, who also made our show music. Also thanks to Kelly Kajurek and Molly Gammon, who also support the production of Public Hearing. If you'd like to learn more about the show, get involved, recommend a guest, uh, reach out to our team. You can find contact info at publichearing.co and follow us on Twitter at publichearingma. And as always, thanks for listening.